All right. What's up, rulers? Josh Smith here again at my studio live from Flat 5. My guest today is a good friend coming uh, to us from, I don't know if it's the frozen uh, wastelands yet of Canada. Who knows? I don't know. We'll find out in a second. But he's one of my favorite just, just flat-out musicians. He's a great dude, of course, and a great guitar player. But he's a just overall great musician, writer, singer, the whole ball of wax. He's got great solo albums. He's got a great project with his brother called The Brothers Landreth. And he's a real friend, so I'm happy to have him here. He's one of my favorite artists. Give it up, everybody. Joey Landreth. Ah, oh, man. Thank you so much. What a warm uh, introduction, dude. Appreciate Thanks, that. man. And the, the crowd goes wild. You can hear them out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, what I've been starting off asking everybody is kind of a little of their path. I'm most interested in who put the guitar in your hands the first time. I don't actually know this about you yet. We've never had this discussion, so... How did the guitar get put into your hands the first time? Uh, so as a kid, I was really fascinated with the piano. Um, and I took piano lessons until I was about seven years old. And um, I was in the Royal Conservatory. I don't, you guys probably do Royal Conservatory down there. But it's like Royal Conservatory is like the legit, like it's not taking lessons with the lady down the street. It's like taking lessons with somebody who's registered and whatever. So I, I switched from taking like, lessons with the lady down the street to taking lessons with this Royal Conservatory guy. And uh, one day I came in and he said, you know, they're going to kick you out. And I was like, who's going to kick me out? He was like, the conservatory. I was like, well, why? So, well, because you, you still haven't done that theory homework from last week. And I it was like, I didn't know that he had given me theory homework or from a couple of weeks before. So anyways, I just had this moment where I was like, this feels super jive and I'm not here for it. And so... I quit taking piano lessons with that guy. And then like a week later, my dad was like, well, you're not taking any music lessons. Do you want to take some guitar lessons with me? And, um, and I said, yeah, that'd be super fun. And then he, uh, he uh, borrowed a Telecaster from a buddy of his, fixed it up, and that was my first guitar. And then I, you know, I started taking lessons with my dad. I think it was Wednesdays because my parents were split when I was a kid. So it was like, and it was like an extra day to go and hang out with dad. You know, we had like our two nights during the week where we would go to his place and then guitar lessons was like an extra day with dad. And then it just became this thing that I really loved. Um, and uh, I think, I think most people can kind of connect with this, but we, in, in piano lessons, all I wanted to learn was like Jerry Lee Lewis and Beethoven. And, <laughs> and you know, and the, and the teacher guy was like, no, you got, you know, you have to do all this, like all this fundamental theory stuff first and I didn't want to do any of that and then the first thing I learned in piano or in guitar lessons with my dad was and and then I was like well that's it I'm off you know yeah well it's amazing how the first time you figure out something on on anything whether it's sports or academics or music whatever but something you actually like and you learn how to do it that's all it takes. It's like, you know, it's it, it's one thing to learn some fundamental thing, but to learn something you, you love already outside of it and then figure it out, it's like that sets the hook forever. There's no turning back, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that and that's what the guitar kind of did for me. Yeah. So so you you're hanging out with your dad taking lessons. So obviously, I know you do come from a musical family. Um what was that like? Like did he did he was there any pressure, you know, having someone who played the instrument? be above you like i know my son has had no interest in playing guitar he's 15 now it's not happening you know what i mean so yeah. i wonder what it was like from your perspective as the kid you know looking up at your dad playing well you know it, it was it was something like i i think it you know i you kind of either want to follow exactly in your parents footsteps or you you want to run screaming in the other direction and you know i had i had friends growing up who, you know, dad was a cop or dad was a firefighter and that's what he wanted to do. My dad was a musician and that's what I wanted to do. I knew from a very early age, you know, like five years old, that that's what I was going to do somehow. I didn't know in what capacity. I did imagine myself as a keyboard player for some reason, <laughs> you know. Um, but... Uh, uh, was that, I, it was that era, man. You were seeing everybody wearing keytars and it was like, ah, that's me, that's me. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, it was like lady early keyboard keyboard scarves and ties and yeah, I don't know, synth was really cool. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so that that was kind of it, it it for me and and I I knew that's what I wanted to do and so 
um, while there, I don't, I don't, there was no real pressure from my, either of my folks, but it was definitely like, if you want to go down this road, um, we have everything that you could possibly need, you know, great record collection. You know, my dad had a bunch of nice guitars and basses and keyboards and stuff growing up. So we had access to, you know, uh, we weren't playing instruments from the discount bin. You know, we were, yeah. we were playing a half, you know, we also weren't playing, you know, the quarter million dollar vintage guitars, but we, we were playing nice instruments. So, yeah. um, but there wasn't really necessarily a ton of pressure per se, but there was, there was definitely like a, uh, there's a pretty strong support network here for you if this is what you want to do. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And so not only did you have your dad, you had your brother, when did he start playing and when did it become like, were you guys egging each other on or, you know, learning stuff together? What was that like? Well, the funny thing about Dave is that he, um, he was always big into music and a music lover. Um, but he, <laughs> his first real instrument was the flute. Okay. Uh, believe yeah. it or not. And so, and he was, uh, you know, we were both presented with the opportunity to take lessons if we want, wanted to. And Dave um, just sort of took to the flute. And so he took classical flute lessons. It was actually a real badass flute player for a guy his age. Um, but it was, it was when he and I were like probably around 13, 14, and he was 15 or 16 when he picked up the bass guitar. Maybe, maybe a little bit younger. I might be getting that wrong. But it was in and around that era. Um, when he was kind of like, my dad and I were spending a lot of time playing music together and there wasn't really room for classical flute in what we were doing. And, right. um, so, you know, and my dad was a bass player by trade. He's a great mm -hmm. guitar player, but he, but he sort of made his living for a long time playing bass in, in bands and blues bands and cover bands and stuff. And so, you know, Dave picked up the bass. That was the, the instrument that was missing. And, and so we didn't, our, our sort of musical relationship didn't really start until we were a little bit older. Um, but then it kind of, you know, we, we kind of came up and cut our teeth. My, my dad is famous for writing songs with a, a ton of chord changes in him. He's really into like swing, but he's also really into like Joni Mitchell. So there's mm -hmm. like lots of pretty harmonically complex music in our house. And so like we cut our teeth learning some pretty hard tunes. Um, and then, uh, it, you know, it just kind of went from there. We, Dave and I kind of did this for a handful of years. I went off and did like commercial more commercial music and he kind of went off and played in a bunch of indie bands and then it was like when, when I was in my mid-20s that we started playing together. Nice. And what about like uh, in school at that time? You, uh, you talked about the conservatory already, but what about just like regular school? Was there a music program that you were involved in at all? Anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, big time. Like, um, Especially when I was in high school, um, like in, in, in Canada, there isn't quite the same kind of like competition culture i think that there is in in high school um music like there is in the u.s but there you know the the tons of tons and tons of music programs and um my you know i graduated high school with honors only because of the music classes if it was for academic i don't even know that i would have passed but um so yeah i had i had a lot of really great um role models kind of growing up and i and i got to play a lot of different kind of music like i I, I played in the in the band backing up the choirs like when the when the choirs were doing like pop tunes and then I but I also played in the big band so I was like you know I was I was playing like Joni Mitchell and swing tunes and my dad's songs on on the weekends with my dad but then I was playing like you know Freddie Green during the week in jazz band and then I was playing like you know whatever so I, I got there was a lot there was a lot of different things coming at me at that time. And what about like? Were, did you have friends that were playing instruments? Start was that the beginning of like getting together with dudes, you know, outside the house and playing music with people your age? Yeah, but like from grade eight on, I was in some sort of band uh, through school, and actually, um, you know, on on the solo side of business, like when I when I go out with the trio, one of the bass players that plays with me, this uh, gal named Meg Dolovich, I met her when I was thirteen, and we've been playing together. You know, now this, th like, I'll be 34 this year, so 21 years going on playing with her, almost longer than I've been playing with my brother, right. funny enough. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's cool, man, because it was, 
So you didn't have trouble finding people your age that were kind of into what you were into, because that was always an issue for me coming up. Just because of what music was popular, if I could find people my age who played, they had no interest in playing like what I wanted to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was fun because like it, it was interesting because um, half of the people I was playing with were cool. Like all I wanted to play was Stevie Ray Vaughan. I just wanted to play songs off of Texas Flood. That's all I was interested in. That's all I listened to. But the right. drummer in my band, he uh, he only wanted to play like top 40 tunes, Island in the Sun, kind of like stuff like Island that. Island in the Sun, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, man, this, this sucks. <laughs> and I, I remember like trying to figure out how to communicate what Chris Layton was playing on those Stevie Ray records, but I just had no idea how to describe it. All I knew was like, I don't know, man, he plays more on the ride cymbal and then he would just go and play a rock beat, but on the ride cymbal, like, uh-huh. shit, I don't know how to, you know, couldn't you couldn't even begin to communicate what a shuffle was. I mean, <laughs> realistically, I probably didn't even know how to shuffle. Dude, I remember point. having that exact conversation with a rock, drummer as a kid and him playing just boom boom bop boom 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 bop boom boom you know like yep nah that doesn't sound like it at all to me <laughs> yeah totally totally it wasn't until later when uh i got to sit in with one of the bands my dad played in and the drummer in the band he was like encyclopedic with all the different types of shuffles and he like it was like we'd get on stage and he'd start playing something i go what the hell is that and he's like oh this is a flat tire or this is a, you know, this is this kind of shuffle. And I had no idea. And he was it like now as somebody who's a little more educated, like knowing that like, oh, he's playing with the subdivision. But at that point, it was just like, holy crap. Like this is this is some really heavy shit that I had no idea. Um, I had no idea about. But yeah, yeah, I was I remember that like, no, man, more ride symbol, I think. <laughs> So when do gigs start to become a thing? I'm assuming you probably go out with your dad to certain things and start sitting in here and there. But like, what's the first gig situation, really? Uh, the very, very first gig, I was I was 13. My brother was 15. And we played uh, a house party, one of my dad's buddies house parties. And then it was pretty much it was pretty much off to the races from there. And then we were like, um, sneaking into bars and there was actually a well maybe famous to me but uh there was a famous night where um it was halloween and my dad snuck us into the bar to watch this funk band this new kind of funk band on the scene that was crazy and uh snuck us into the bar by putting fake mustaches on us (laughs) and and we actually got away with it so it's like yeah yeah a lot of fun a lot of fun that's a supportive uh parent but definitely a musician a hundred percent. Yeah. And so do you remember that feeling of like getting paid the first time for a gig and how great that felt? Uh, n- no, that didn't come until later. I didn't actually start getting paid for stuff until, although I don't know, maybe that very first gig, my, my dad probably shot us a couple of bucks, but it didn't really register to me until actually I was like 18. Cause I was just taking any gig that I could. And there wasn't like, it wasn't like super, super regular, um, by any stretch. So, it, you know, it wasn't, it didn't even dawn on me that like, I should even be asking to get paid. And I, I do remember the first time I asked to get paid, I, I'd done um, a solo gig at this coffee house. And at the end of the night, um, I went up and, and asked the guy like, hey, man, I'm just, I was just hoping to maybe settle up with you. And he was like, oh, um, yeah, I guess I can't remember the booker, like the gig booker's name, but I guess so and so didn't tell you. Like, there's, there's usually no money involved for support acts. I was opening for this dude who was coming through town, and I definitely brought more people out than him. But, uh-huh. um, and then he's like, "But you can have any flavor ice cream you want." And I was like, <laughs> All right, "Well, I guess give me, uh, give me three scoops." What, double. What, what's <laughs> the most expensive flavor? I mean, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like gold flake pistachio. Give me that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you said, okay, so you played a solo gig there. So that l- leads me to my next question. When did the singing start? Was it right away or when did you even show an interest in it? Um, like I, I always sang, but I didn't start singing in front of people until, until grade eight. That was, that was a big sort of like becoming year for me, 13. And, and it was <laughs> the first time I, of course. I'd been working, singing uh, Little Wing 
So I'd learned like all the, you know, all the changes and all the different, like I had as many different versions of the tune that I could. And I'd learned everybody like Lukather had a version and obviously yeah. Stevie Ray's version and the, the Hendrix version and, you know, all these different guitar players. And I learned as many of them as I could. And then I learned to sing it and then I sang it. And then I realized that it was the key to getting the attention of girls. They didn't care that I could play Scuttle Button. They wanted to hear me sing a ballad. <laughs> sure, and absolutely. that's pretty much why I have a job today. <laughs> yeah, singing sad yeah. songs for girls. So when you figured that out, what kind of effort did you put into the singing? I'm always curious about this with guys who play guitar first. And you're a great singer, so you know, was it? Did it come naturally to you? Did you feel like? You had to work really hard. Like for me, it's a struggle still to this day to feel as confident singing as I feel playing guitar. I just don't feel as natural with it. What was it like for you? Um, I don't. I don't even really think I realized that it was something that you could actively work on the same way until I was a little bit older, and and sort of discovered like, oh, I can practice singing the same way I practice guitar. Like I can give myself exercises. I can give myself workouts and things like, you know beyond just sort of, you know, warming up uh, the way I learned how to singing in choirs, I could actually work on skills and extend my range and things like that. So it wasn't until probably my early 20s that I actively started to work on it. But it was just something that I felt comfortable doing. Um, and uh, uh, I mean, if I go back and listen, like I, I probably... I probably was not very good, but <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it's just one of those things. I don't know, but yeah, it, it, yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually start working on it until later, but then once I did, I, you know, it's, it's something that I continually work on now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird thing. I don't know about for you. I started singing on gigs still like really young, 13, 14, because I knew I had to do it. I knew I was like, I just had to jump off the cliff and try. But, of course, I was yeah. horrible. I mean, my voice was still kind of high and, you know, and, and I had no idea what I was doing. And my biggest hurdle is, and I'm curious about this for you, I don't hear improvisation when I'm singing. Like, I'll lock into singing something and I'll sing it the same way till the end of time. Whereas when I hear an improv, it comes out on the guitar and not out of my voice. Do you ever have that? You, you know, what do you, what do you do to work on that? <laughs> right. Um Man, I, it, it's interesting because I think I think just by virtue of like working on stuff, um, you start to connect those 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 kind of dots because it's it is very much like if I if I'm finding myself really sick of what I'm playing, then instead of trying to improvise from the guitar first, I, I'll try to actively even if I'm playing, I'll actively try to engage sort of my singing brain. And that's where that's where things like, you know, like that that kind of playing tends to come out. And I'll try to like, uh, I'll just try to channel that a little bit because it's it is kind of a different thing. But I feel like in some ways I feel freer to improvise vocally than I do on the guitar. Like there's no there's no like oh I don't know the fingering for that or I I'm not as comfortable in this position. It's all, it, it's a little bit different, but. Um, by virtue of doing things like singing scales and, you know, the same way that you would do workouts on the guitar, like trying to figure out how to do that, then I feel like those, those kind of connections get made, but, nice. um, yeah. Yeah. It's something I still struggle with. <laughs> Drives me crazy. Uh, well, okay. So you're moving on then you're playing gigs. You're starting to maybe make a little bit of money. You're singing, you're, you know, you're playing with your brother, you're playing with your dad. When do you start to think? You know, it's, you probably don't even have this because, you know, like most of us, you already know. But when do you start to think like this is really my life forever? Like there's no I don't want to go to college or do this. Maybe you went to college. I don't know that either. But when does it just sink in like uh, uh, this is I'm already doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Um, yeah, like early, early, early on, like I think I got my first gig um, playing in a worship band of all things. There's a guy here in town that was pretty busy traveling around and um, he hired me and a couple of my friends to back him up when we were in our like around 15 16 we'd go on the roads on the on the road on the weekends and play churches and stuff all over western Canada and when I realized like oh man I can like I can pack my shit into a van and drive across the country and play shows like that's that's it that's that's what I want to do and then when I turned 18 I got my first like <laughs> 
gig outside of the church and then there was like no looking back because I, I played in a in a in a in a cajun zydeco band that was just like you know i i pretty much just played rhythm guitar all night and it was so much fun um and i got to meet a bunch of people and from there it just kind of like i met you know i was playing in this cajun band um which was like kind of just a party band doing cover tunes and stuff and then i met the first sort of like artist that i backed up while on the road with the Cajun band. And then that kept me busy for a couple of years. And then I met the next artist while I was on the tour with this guy, you know, you just sort of slowly climb the ladder to the point where I was like, you know, standing on stage in my hometown arena, just being like, I don't want to play this guy's songs anymore. Yeah. I want to play my own songs. But it, but that was kind of the trajectory was like, it just sort of like, I knew it was what I wanted to do. And then I just had to keep doing it until, um, until I knew what was next. And it was a pretty natural progression for me. So I would imagine you don't have to have much of a hard discussion with your dad. But what about your mom? Like when it becomes like, this is really what I'm going to do for a living. Like no backup plan. You know, we all have that. I mean, my parents were incredibly supportive, but, you know, they still want to know you're going to be taken care of and okay. And if anybody knows how difficult a road it is, your dad would know. So like, yeah. you know, did you even have to have those kind of discussions with them? Uh, it was, it was never like, oh my God, are you sure you want to do this? But it was, you know, my, my mom was like, okay, you know, I am the, I was the partner and now I'm now the ex-partner of somebody who did this full time. Um, I know how hard it can be from an, like as an observer, um, what's your plan? Like, what, what are you going to do if ends aren't, aren't meeting? What's the, what's the plan? You know, at some point you're going to move out of the house and you're going to have to pay rent and, you know, um, she was really practical that way. And she kind of instilled this idea of like, um, you know, there's, as long as you're pushing toward your goal, there's no pro or there's no, um, there's no shame in getting a regular gig. And so it was like, I'd be playing shows and, or I'd be playing tours and stuff and then shows would dry up and then I would go and flip burgers. And it was never like, you know, um, I had a, I knew a lot of people who growing up were like, it's all or nothing. And I'll eat, you know, I'll eat craft dinner before I go and get a regular job. And I, I kind of bounced around, you know, I did like a handful of manual labor gigs until it was like, okay, I can actually, you know, I pl I can play enough gigs that I got the 600 bucks to pay my rent. And, right. and now I can sort of quit landscaping or whatever I was doing, you know? So um, that, and that, that, I mean, like, that kind of came from my mom was just like, let's be practical about this. Cause yeah, you, you got to chase your dreams and I believe in you and I know you can do it, but you know, this is not an easy road to hoe. So you gotta, you know, you gotta have a, a few fail, fail safe sort of in place. And um, what are you going to do when there's no gigs? And, and, and so it was never like, um, I never felt like I didn't have the support of my parents, but there was also like this sort of like, you know, also don't be an idiot. <laughs> Yeah. 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 And that that's prepared you for this year incredibly well. <laughs> oh man, I don't think anything could could prepare anybody for this year, but uh well, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully uh thankfully there was a little bit left in the coffers at the end of last year that you know could yep. at least squeak by, but Well, I'm curious about this. I mean, for me, I've had my eyes opened by the pandemic to just how much of my income comes from everything other than touring as opposed to the other way around. I thought, oh, I'm, I make most of my money from gigs. I was totally wrong on that without knowing it, you know? Mm. And so it's like, it's definitely pulled the wool back a little bit for me. What, have you found anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, um, touring is definitely a big, uh, a big part of my income. But what I was pretty surprised to find out pretty quickly is that there are other things that I, you know, that I can do like teach and record and, and, um, you know, the odd, um, brand partnership and things like that. Like yeah. nothing, you know, I'm not, I'm not running, you know, laughing maniacally to the bank with bags <laughs> full of money, but I mean, my, my rent is paid doing all those things. And well, dude, I, and I can a hundred percent relate. I mean, we're literally talking, I'm doing the exact same things. You know, it's every little brand partnership lesson session, all of that adds up. But what's weird is, like, I realized the touring part, while, yes, it puts some money in my pocket, for the most part, it, it's, it fills this up. It's a labor of love. 
And most of the time, it's a fucking break-even proposition. <laughs> yeah, it certainly, certainly is. And I mean, the man, the drag about this year is that the you know the brothers Landreth, we were about to have our biggest year touring. Like we we had finally kind of broken through. Um, I mean, I. I, I hesitate to even say what I was about to say because I've always felt so fortunate to be able to travel and do what I love. Like the fact that I can go to Europe and play shows and come home with money in the bank kind of breaks my brain. Um, yeah. But with that said, we were, we were this year, we were supposed to sort of break into the next league of venues. And so, you know, we had to cancel all those shows and it was just devastating because like, oh man, it was like, this is probably going to be the first tour where we actually go like, hey, we came home with some money. Like, yeah. weird as opposed to just mostly breaking even but um yeah it's been really eye-opening and the thing that i'm actually you know once once the initial shock of the pandemic kind of wore off the thing that surprised me the most was how much i really love being at home and you know i've just <laughs> interesting identified as this road dog my whole life and i am like i love being on the road I, I i i live for it i have lived for it but like you know, settled in, settled in at home. It's like, man, I sh I really like my wife. I like hanging out with her. I like making dinner with her. I like waking up early with her. This is pretty great. Uh, you know, being able to see my folks once a week. We have Sunday dinners. Well, we were having Sunday dinners. We're in we're in very serious lockdown right now, so nobody's seeing anybody. Mm -hmm. um, but like, you know, all of that stuff was like this. This is pretty great. And um, while I I don't think I'm ever gonna stop touring, and I'm sure you feel the same way. I'm definitely going to tour differently. Like I know that I can, I can pay my bills here at home. Um, and so I think I'm, I'm going to tour in a way that, that sort of has me playing um, significantly less of the year instead of gone most of the year and home for, you know, and the other shitty thing is like, I mean, I live in Winnipeg, which I love, I love where I live, but um, the only time I'm home is in the winter. It's horrible here in the winter. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, uh, I want to be yes. in Florida in the winter. I don't want to be <laughs> yeah. in Winnipeg in the Winnipeg yeah. in the summer is glorious. But yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I, it's been great to be home, and yet yeah, to, to find out the new ways to you know pay your bills and all that. And of course, to spend as much time as I am with my family, I think they'd like to get rid of me a little bit because they're just not used to me being home for this long. You know, without breaks, they get lots of breaks from from me. So. Yeah, hundred percent, yeah. man. Yeah, hundred percent. It is crazy times, crazy times. Well, crazy okay. Times. So when did you start writing tunes and starting to do your own thing? So you said you've been, you know, sideman, you know, through pop acts in Canada and on the road, worship stuff, different artists. When you know, was it with your brother that you started doing your own thing? Was it for yourself? What? what when did that become like? Okay, now I want to do this. I, I kind of started writing early on. Like I wanna, I, I, I always tried to write, but I, I didn't ever finish a song until I think 2007. And then uh, I didn't actually record anything until, God, I wanna say like 2010, maybe a little bit earlier, like nothing of my own. I, I've done mm -hmm. sessions and stuff like that, but I didn't record anything of my own until around then. And then, um, but the Brothers Landreth stuff was really, it's, it was sort of, the idea was birthed somewhere around 2011. We started working on material in 2011. We started recording in 2012 and like the end of 2012. And then we released the record in September of 2013. And then there's pretty much no looking back. I still had an artist gig at that point, but it was like, you know, there was, there was one conflict that hit the books and I chose to do my band's gig over my artist gig. And then the guy that I, I had suggested to sub for me was all of a sudden the guy getting all the calls for the gigs. So it was like, yeah, you know, it was kind of, and it was that classic thing. Like, you know, um, there's, there's that finite sort of job security as a side person. And that was one of the things that kind of pushed me in the direction of doing my own thing was like, I keep finding myself in these bands that are doing well and paying well. And then, and then, you know, these these the artists that I was working for kind of reach this level of acclaim and then all of a sudden they're taking fucking hiatuses hiatuses to like oh I just got to go find myself and write a record it's like well shit 
Yep. I just went from making five, six hundred bucks a night to making nothing, and I've been off the road for a year, so nobody knows who I am anymore, and you know that that kind of stuff kept happening. So I was like, well, maybe I'll do my own thing. That's the so. thing I think people don't realize quite so much about the sideman thing. You know, having when I moved to LA, it was purposely to do sideman work and session work. And it worked out like for the most part is term in terms of getting jobs and paying my bills and things like that. But it is so incredibly cyclical. It's just peaks and valleys all the time. You have a year where you just kill it and then you have a year where you make fifteen thousand dollars. You know, and, yeah. and and it's not because you're not trying or making phone calls or whatever. It's like, no, the gig you had ended and you don't get another good paying one for a while, you know, and it's just I reached a point where, wow, this could if I blink, it could be forty years of this. Where yeah. I'll probably not go homeless, we'll be fine. But what will really have happened at the end of this forty years? Like, and it just felt like, well, maybe I should be doing something more in service of m what I do, you know. But as much as we have to make a decision to be a musician and kind of be all in like that, yeah, it's it's even more of that decision when you go all in on doing your thing, because <laughs> it's like it makes it even harder because you know you have no security blanket. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you got to start from scratch. And you have like, you know, when I when I stopped doing the sideman stuff, and I started doing Brothers Landreth, I thought like a lot of man, I know a lot of industry people, I know radio trackers, I know uh, agents, I know managers, I know record label people. And so this is going to be no problem. And then I started sort of pushing the, the our music around and people were like, hey, man, yeah, nice. What? Uh, what do you want me to do with this? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> give me a record deal or uh, get this song on the radio. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 that's not how that happens. So it was like, oh, oh shit, <laughs> I got to start from scratch. But then the thing yeah. is, is like, you know, I, for me, there's, there's something so incredibly meaningful about doing that work and building that thing for yourself. And, you know, I think um, certainly not, I don't mean this in, in any way um, discriminatorily toward people who make their living as side people. Um, but I just like the, the work feels so much more meaningful to me when it's my own music. And, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, there's a lot of great career um, sidemen like Landau and Paul Jackson yeah. Jr. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and all these great players. But all these guys also have stuff on the side. Like, man, Mike Landau, man, he's like, He's the best. Anyway, don't get me started. Yeah, I mean, you got to have the outlet. You know, everybody needs that outlet when you're a creative person. But it is weird. It's like you kind of make a choice, you know, along the lines of how you want to live, how you want, what you want to do. And, you know, and, and, and it's not black and white either. I mean, for the last eight to 10 years, I've mostly focused on my own thing, like you have. But actually, as my, you know, whatever. Or I don't want to say as my star rises, that sounds incredibly shitty. But as as people know you more, whatever, I've gotten more calls about sideman gigs that maybe I wouldn't have gotten back in the past when I was doing it full time uh, that would probably pay me more and or higher profile that I've turned down because I just it just didn't feel right anymore. You know, and, and it's so but it doesn't make it's certainly I still think about it when a call comes in. It's like, whoa, this would be a really good year. Is it worth giving up this year of my life? You know? Yeah, yeah, so it's not black and white. <laughs> no, never, never. It's funny that you mentioned that because the the trip that I met you on was on one of those gigs. I had gotten a call to play on Rita Coolidge's new record, and uh, I so I I came down to L.A. and you'd sent me a message like, "Hey man, uh, you want to come over to the studio and hang out?" I was like, "Holy shit, Josh Smith just sent me a note on Instagram." Oh yeah, man. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. All right, yeah. 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 Yep. But, yeah. I mean, yes. Calls still come in. You take them all on a one by one, you know. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and I mean, like, I think that's the that's the cool thing about doing what you and I are doing, is that, um, and and many many others, Ariel and and all all the other sort of heavy heavyweight dudes that I don't belong hanging around. Uh, the you do your own thing, and then when the call comes in and it's something that's like, oh shit, I want to do that, then yeah. then you go and make that decision and go and do that, or or you go, man, I'd love to do that, but this is not the time to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. For me, it's whether it would be creatively exciting uh, and whether it would further what I do in any way. So, like, mm -hmm. two years ago, I got a call for a tour with an artist, and a foreign artist that's huge and would have been a year of work and would have been the most money I'd ever made. 
in my life in a year. And I said, no, actually Landau put me, gave me the, the call like for that gig. And, and I turned it down because I would have had to cancel six months worth of tour that was already booked, you know, throughout the course of that year. And all these other, I had a record I was producing actually two, I would have had to reschedule things. And it just felt like, man, at the end of this year, I will have made a bunch of money, but that audience is certainly not my audience. It's not like I'm Doyle Bramhall on tour with Clapton and those people out there might like buy my record because they like similar music or whatever, you know, no, it would be, you do the gig, you'd come home that year just disappeared. So even yeah. my wife was like, yeah, I don't think you should do that gig, which was, you know, surprising to me. Yeah, it's weird. You got you to gotta weigh them all, you know, against you, what's you going on. You kind of have to ask how much is that money worth, you know, because yeah. it might, it, you know, it might be a lot up front, but in the long run, you know, exactly. it's going co- to cost you something if it's not, not just energy. Yep. Yep. You know, if it's a year out of servicing your own markets, then that, that's, that's no good. That doesn't do anybody any favors. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right, man, let's jump into our, our 10 questions. Okay. Love it. All right. Number one, when you, 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 you touched on it earlier, but maybe there's something more specific. When you first started learning playing guitar, what was the first thing that when you got it under your fingers, you were, it was like, I can't believe I just figured this out. It's just the greatest feeling, you know, that you learned this. I think it was uh, something like... Uh... Like something, something like that. It was like, that sounds, that sounds like real something. Yeah. 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 That feeling when you, I mean, obviously learning the pentatonic scale is magic for any guitar player, but the feeling when you realize like you could be listening to the radio and all you got to do is find the key that you're in and you could be playing like, like that. Yeah. It's like, what else would you ever want to do with your life once you figure out how to do that? Yeah, absolutely nothing. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. (laughs) All right. Number two. If this is a thing that you did, what's the first solo you ever learned note for note? Like you just loved it so much you had to learn it. Oh, man. I'm going to, like, I hesitate to say this record because it's such a heavy record and the chances that I actually transcribed it properly are zero to nil. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, I, at one point, believed that I knew every song off of Texas Flood. I knew every solo off of Texas Flood. So I, I think I probably started with Texas Flood. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, now to this day, I'll hear, I'll hear solos off of that record and go like, oh yeah, there's, I, I, can't, I can't play that. I don't know how he does that. Um, <laughs> you know, when I was 13, I was like, I got this nailed. So yeah. it was probably, yeah, it was definitely off of that record. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, I mean, obviously I can relate to that entire statement. You know, it's funny about Stevie, Stevie and Hendrix. I mean, there's lots of music where, you know, we work on this stuff so much. We listen to it so much. Even if you haven't learned it, it's the kind of thing where you know it already just because now we've played long enough and we've listened to that piece of music so much that you can just pull it out of out of memory. But Stevie is the one where it's it's so ingrained into my like muscle memory where it's like almost. Mm. Yeah, almost every solo will just come out, even if years go by, if I give it a second's thought that solo will come back because I did. I played every fucking one without question. Yeah. 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 Cool, man. All right. What's the first thing you play every time you pick up a guitar? Do your hands just go somewhere naturally? Uh, it's probably something like this. I think I almost certainly that's what it is. Cause that's, that's what I just played now, but yeah, it's yeah. definitely this, like this voicing. I, I, I'm, I really like that voicing, no matter what yeah. key I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Well, why wouldn't you? But, yeah, what about, like, if you're in a music store? This is like a addendum to the question. If you're trying to get an idea for if this guitar is cool or not when you pick up a new guitar, is there something you do to, like, let you know if it works for you, if it has it, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I do, uh, you know, uh, something like this. Oh, with the tuner. Like that, that just kind of like, I feel like when you snap a string on a guitar and you kind of like try to get that slow vibrato going, you can kind of get an idea for who that guitar is and how it wants to be played. Mm. And, uh, 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. The one thing I for sure do, and I was I, uh, I was talking about this with uh, another friend of mine the other day, was is that I I almost never play an instrument that I don't know with a pick. I almost always play it with my fingers, just because I I feel like you get a, a better idea of what that. At least I do, and I, I'm I play with my fingers more than I play with a pick. So I I think mm-hmm. that's probably also probably part of it. But I feel like you just kind of get your hands on it, and and you kind of go, oh, this guitar likes to be kind of smacked around or this this guitar needs to be played gently or whatever you know and when you pick up a guitar in a store i'm assuming probably before you even plug it in you just know like whether you even have any interest in plugging this guitar in right away like yep or no yeah 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 for sure yeah always always i mean if you grab the lower bout and pluck the b string if you can hear if you can feel it vibrating there then it's a good instrument and i oh yeah I don't I I don't know um necessarily if that's actually a thing but uh I definitely do that and if I can if I feel it vibrate then I'll take it off the wall. And if I, I kind of do that. Thing. I kind of do that. I just walk up and I do this and I put my forearm just barely touching to see if I can feel anything, you know? And then I'll pick it up if I could feel something. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh man. All right. Number 4. All right. What Key, style, song, groove, whatever. What do you hear like in your head when you're driving or when you're cooking breakfast or something? Is there like a narration or a groove that just kind of lives there all the time, an improv or something? Oh, man. You know what? And this is this is probably just because this is what my wife and I always listen to like in the morning or when we're making food or when we're making dinner is uh, the, the what's going on off of Donny Hathaway Live. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not really a guitar thing, but it's but it's just like that. That's kind of that's kind of the soundtrack to my uh, my passive brain all the time. Interesting. Dun. That's a good one to have just rolling around in there all the time. Yeah, it's a good one. I love that record. I always have a shuffle going twenty four hours a day. It's like you know when I'm laying in bed, I'm just hearing something swinging, something whatever. You know. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um. On a sidebar to that question, when you listen to a piece of music, like it could be what's going on or whatever, when when you're in the car and some piece of music you've never heard comes on, do you ever like take stock of what's the first thought you have? Like what what other musical th- like are you focusing on groove? Do you hear a groove against it? Do you hear a melody against it? Do you start improving in your head over it? Like what you know? Where do you go a lot of times the first time you hear a piece of music? I'm almost always analyzing the harmony. I'm a I'm I'm such a big uh harmony nerd. Like if there's one thing that I practice sort of more than anything else, it's you know, chord voicings, chord progressions. Um I'm always trying to learn more stuff about about harmony whether it's like uh Bach or Barry Harris. You know, I'm just I'm su- sure. I'm super I'm super into harmony. Uh so yeah, if something comes on, the first thing I'm doing is like checking out the inversions and checking out the like taking stock of the chord progression and then try and trying to see if I can identify the inversions and 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 stuff like that. Nice. Yeah, and it seems like Barry Harris is the uh lockdown champion for everybody. <laughs> oh man. Heavy, 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 heavy wow. stuff. I dove in big time again during this lockdown. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, All me right. too. Number 5. When did you feel like you might have started to find your own voice on the instrument? Was there a moment that you can remember where you did something and it was like, this kind of feels like uh, my own thing. I should go further this way. Or or maybe even someone brought it to your attention. Like, hey, man, you know that thing you do like on that one song? I, I never heard, like, that's really cool. You should do more of that or whatever. Is there any conscious moments like that that you remember? Um, I, you know, like, to be totally honest, I I feel like, um uh I feel like most of the time I'm just doing bad impressions of my favorite guitar players and I, and I've just grown to uh I've grown to trust that that collective sort of vocabulary of all my favorite of all my favorite music is what my sound is but half of the time I can't hear it I just like listen to myself play and just like oh you're you know that's a Derek Trucks lick or that's a Ry Cooter lick or that's a you know that's a Stevie Wonder vocal lick or whatever you know um but I do, I do trust, I do trust folks who listen to my playing and and say, oh, you know, I could recognize you. I go, okay, I believe you. <laughs> but, it's amazing how when you listen back to yourself play, yeah, you can 
instantly you know where every little piece of the puzzle came from. It's like, yep, 100%. that I, I remember when I learned that when I was 14. I remember this from two weeks ago. I remember this from that record and this. Yeah, it never goes away. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, because obviously it is a big, you know, soup of all your influences and everything, and then it's filtered through your brain the only way it can and, and your physical ability and all of that. So no matter yeah, yeah. what, it's going to come out somewhat unique, you know, but it's interesting to hear that you think about it still that same way. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I like my own playing and everything, but I, but I have a hard time, like, um, not, you know, always walking around trying to cite my sources, you know, the, I think the, the, my greatest fear is somebody accusing me of trying to pretend that I came up with something. Cause I, I, I really do honestly feel like I've borrowed every single thing that I, that I play. Yeah. Um, in fact, the only, the only comment that the only time I've ever interacted with a negative comment online was somebody was when somebody was like, you're just ripping off Blake Mills. And I was like, actually I'm ri I'm ripping off Ry Cooter. And yeah. so who's who I, Blake was listening to. Yeah. <laughs> and I love, don't get me wrong. I absolutely like Blake is probably my favorite, my favorite guitar player of our generation. But, uh, but you got to give credit where credit's due. And as much as I yeah. love his guitar playing, I haven't lifted a lick. So yeah, that was, that was my one like, hey, fuck you, man. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't engage with that shit. I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember engaging ones with a troll who said, oh, it was funny because they said I was ripping off uh, Matt Schofield. I was like, well, first off, Matt's my brother. We're contemporaries. But second off, we're both just ripping off Albert Collins in this exact scenario that you're pointing to right here, bro. You know? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a funny thing. I mean, at this stage in the game, like we're all, I mean, I don't know, maybe the only thing, the only person that I feel like I don't, and maybe this is just cause it's out of my idiom, but, uh, is Tosin Abasi. I feel like that guy, every time I hear him play, I've never, ever heard anybody make that sound, but what's just about every guitar what's player. Funny I is we've been hanging out a lot and dude, it, you, you don't know how right you are. He he sounds like no one else. He's invented a language. It's fucking crazy. But what's cool is now he's getting really into blues. So he's been coming over here and we'll, we'll talk blues. He wants me to show him this. And I just want to show me one. I can't even do one thing that he does. Not one. You know, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. We actually wrote a song together that we're going to record soon. A duet. <laughs> a crazy oh, no thing. No yeah. way. I yeah. can't wait to hear. It. He's the greatest dude. He's such a great guy. Yeah. I met him a number of years ago, and and uh, uh, at that point I I wasn't familiar with him, and then uh, and then I realized quite quickly after um, that I should have been asking him a lot more questions. But what a, what a sweetheart he is! Yeah, yeah, he's a great dude. All right, number six. What do you consider your biggest weakness on the guitar? Oh man, you got all day. <laughs> um, <laughs> Especially now, I, I feel like my hands are so out of out of practice. But I, I most of the time I feel like my hands are never caught up with where my ears and my my sort of brain is. Like the things that I can conceptualize, I, I just feel like my hands are. I'm always fighting against my hands. I'm never I'm never quite as clear, or I'm never quite as. Um, uh, I mean that's that. I mean. Uh, among many other favorite things, one of my favorite things about your playing is how, is how clean, um, and beautiful your touches on the guitar. Like I feel like half of the time I'm kind of just like doing this, um, but you like you you play so cleanly, but you also have this you you bring such a incredible finesse to the things that you play, um, in a way that I just I recognize in my own playing that that's just not something that I do. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's a cop out. Maybe I just don't want to put the time in. It's more more realistic. I'm just lazy. But um, that's the one thing I feel like I fight against the most is my hands. Interesting. Well, thanks. Thanks for the kind words there. Um, yeah, it's weird with physical things like that because some things are just physical limitations, and some you can power through, and you can improve them. Of course, you know. I struggle sometimes on the physical aspect of it. Of uh, <laughs> This is going to sound absolutely horrible, but like some of the things that drive me crazy when people say it about my playing is I'll get kind of the B side of what you just said to me, 
where people will say, well, compared to like, you know, other blues players, I'm too, too precise and too clean and too perfect or this or that. And that shit drives me absolutely bananas, you know? Um, but I, but it is certainly something I worked on to be clean and precise and, and accurate and all those things. So it is, it's like a double-sided coin. Uh, it's, yeah, it's weird. The, the physical side of it, because like you said, I'm always trying to eliminate barriers between this and these, you know, it's like, if I hear it or, or think it, I want to be able to carry it out or else I feel like I've got a problem in my way. I guess, so I got to get rid of that problem. Um, so yeah, I, I do put in effort into that for sure. Yeah, man. Fuck those people. <laughs> it's weird, man. Kirk and I have a, a running joke about it because people will, you know, that's my brother and people obviously talk about us together all the time because we are together a lot and we're friends and, you know, we're contemporaries. And, but like, it's always, Oh, Kirk, Kirk is the, the heart and soul guy. And Josh is the head guy, you know? And it's like, well, wait a minute. It's not that fucking black and white guys. You know? Yeah. <laughs> You know, oh yeah. yeah yeah oh man all right number seven who's a huge influence on your guitar playing that people would be very surprised to hear oh man um i don't know that there's really anybody in there that people would be surprised to hear i mean i i was and still am a massive stevie ray fan and that you know those that kind of vocabulary doesn't doesn't exist a lot in my playing um Robin Ford, Mike Landau, man, Bonnie Raitt, uh, but who, uh, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to think, I, I kind of feel like I wear my heart on my sleeve musically, so that I don't, I, there's yeah. nobody that comes to mind that I'm, I'm just kind of like cycling through my, uh, my record collection right now. <laughs> I think I, 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 you know, uh, without having another 10 or 15 minutes to think about it, I think probably there's nobody in in my list of influences that would surprise anyone. You know, one thing that I have I have been doing a lot lately is actually going back behind my heroes, so like, mm -hmm. um, digging in harder on like, um, the 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 people who inspired my heroes. So like, you know, actually, you were one of the first people to tell me about um, Aubrey Gent and the like the Campbell brothers because okay, yeah. I'm such a big fan of that Sacred Steel sound, but I didn't. I didn't know where that came from. I just didn't have the history. Like it was yeah. not so abundantly in front of me. And so like I went and, and dug in really hard on that sacred steel stuff and actually got to share a stage with Chuck Campbell from the Campbell brothers at one yeah. point. And, um, uh, uh, he, one of my favorite compliments I've ever been delivered. Uh, he just looked at me and went, yeah, man. I was like, nice. <laughs> now I'm going to yeah, carry that with that me. That scene to is crazy, you know, and, I remember as kids with Derek when he first learned about those guys and we listened to them together and it was like, whoa, like this is crazy. I'd never heard it before. And it, obviously it freaked him out because he's a slide player and I wasn't. But, yeah. And then recently I interviewed AJ Gent, Aubrey's son, and, and that was crazy. Like he, he told me – he gave me the whole all the way back to square one history lesson, which was great, you know. Oh, man. I, yeah, I got I to gotta check that out. I'm such a huge fan of his playing. He's, like he's him a wonderful and, dude too really nice guy absolutely no surprise there robert randolph but uh, the the is another one that comes to mind but um the one that really blew my brain open is joseph spence who's this old uh guitar player from the bahamas who uh was a really big influence on rye and so like all that like uh Like that, that kind of feel, um, I think in a big way, Rye got from him. And this dude, like the, the only recordings of this guy are from like the 20s and they're terrible and he's just playing hymns, but it's just like some of the heaviest shit like ever. So that, that's been something that I've been really into is like kind of going behind some of those, those folks and trying to do my homework a little bit more. Nice, nice. Well, we got to do it. We got to do it. Yeah. All right. Number eight. This I'm actually very curious to hear your answer on this. Would you rather have a great guitar and a shitty amp, or vice versa, in a gig situation? Oh man, I think I think a great amp and a shitty guitar, because I I I can't like 
it, yeah, no, actually, certainly I would choose that because I feel like you can you could wrestle a bad guitar into sounding great through a great amp, but there's nothing you can do with a great guitar through a bad amp. You know, you and I are on the same page here, but it's been split 50-50. I've interviewed like 30 guys already, and it's almost dead split down the middle. No kidding. I mean, yeah. the thing that comes to mind is like, I don't know, I don't know how you feel about these, but I cannot for the life of me, get a sound out of an AC-30. I know that's like Kirk, Kirk's thing. He plays through oh, dude, AC-30s. I, I use an AC-30 all the time, but only together with another amp. I don't like it by itself. I think that's the key, but like the moment, like when, when Ariel was still touring with us, we would like, we would trade who fell on the sword. Like when there was like a deluxe <laughs> AC-30 or an AC-15, he'd be like, hey man, you know, you had a long drive today. I'll, I'll play the AC-30. You can have the deluxe. You know, <laughs> And we were like, all right, I think it's my turn to fall on the sword. But, like, I, yeah. I mean, he he sounds great through anything. But I just could not, to this day, I can't get a sound out of that. And so, like, I'd rather fucking go direct than play through ah. a bad amp. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you because even even with my strings, like, if I was forced to play, you know, a Squire with 10s through my rig, it would be a better gig than this guitar through a crate or a jc120 or some other awful awful amp you know yeah 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 yeah. yeah absolutely all right cool well, we're on the same page <laughs> nice all right um number nine it may be different now in in this time and day and age that we're in at the moment but what keeps you pushing forward and getting better like are you obsessive about like constantly growing and learning new things? What keeps you like wanting to be better on the instrument and be a better musician? Oh man, that's such an awesome question. It, it, this year has been really big for that for me. And I'm, uh, you know, full disclosure, I've been actually doing a lot of work with a psychologist. I, I feel like I, I toured myself into, um, into a really weird headspace last year. And by the time I got off the road, I was just like, man, I, I just don't think I want to do this shit anymore. Like I, I, I love my job. I love, I love music, but I just, I just can't do this shit anymore. And so I started talking to somebody cause I just was like, I, I feel like before I call it quits, I want to, I want to try and get this right. And one of the things that kind of keeps coming up is, is my obsessive nature. Uh, because like, you know, when I, when I started telling my therapist, like, yeah, so I was like uh, nine years old and I'd be, you know, I'd get home from school and I'd practice for six hours. And, and she was just like, yeah, that's, that's not your average nine-year-old. You know, yeah. your average nine-year-old has some variety. And, and so realizing that like there is, while, you know, it is the thing that, the thing that drives me to, you know, be an accomplished musician, but it's also like, you know, something that could get in the way of me just having like a healthy, balanced life. So, you know, at the risk of getting too far into detail on that, I, I am finding that like I'm I'm actively engaging in my own sort of obsession and and trying to find what it is that actually fires me up and makes me want to keep playing and not like just the pursuit of excellence, because I think that that in and of itself is it, it runs out pretty quick the satisfaction that comes from why well, I just want to be good. Um, yeah. And what I'm discovering now is the thing that fires me up the most. And I've been playing a lot of other instruments this year because fucking why not? And um, the thing that, that really fires me up is just the pursuit of, of creativity, like being able to like, I want to learn keys a little bit better so that I can sit down and be creative um, and come up with ideas and learn things and, and, uh, and play new things and think in a different way. And so the thing that drives me to keep working is just the, the pursuit of making, I think, honest art. Now, certainly it hasn't always been that way, but uh, that's definitely where it's at for me now. Yeah, and, the pursuit uh, of excellence is, is, is important, but it's like it's a, it's a sidebar to like just the pursuit of like, you know, the enjoyment factor like i what i enjoy is not being excellent it's like the process to to learn and just be good and, and be better i do want to be better tomorrow than than today but not just because i get a gold star because it's yeah. fucking awesome like to learn something new every day yeah well and you know it's funny like because i think uh, like we uh, you know i don't know i i don't know if you've experienced this but i've been accused in the past of like you know it being really selfish like you're only in it for validation and it's like man have you been to some of the 
first shows I ever played, there was fucking nobody there. There was there was an entire tour where we went out at the end of the night to get paid, and the bouncer was like, "There's four bucks in here. Do you guys actually want that four bucks?" So it's like we we didn't do we like having people clap for your show is nice, and getting paid money is nice. But yeah. if if I was doing this for validation or for money. Um, I would do something else. I I I do this because it it gives me a deep sense of um, satisfaction, and I think that is like yeah, absolutely. There's the pursuit of excellence that I think that drives all of us in a way. But at the end of the day, it's not only that, you know, that that keeps you doing it. Because if it was like you would probably if if I just wanted to be good at guitar, I would definitely get another job and just play guitar for fun. <laughs> yeah, well, and we're seeing that now. I mean, we've all, I mean, without naming names, we all have friends now during this pandemic who have not touched their instrument for the most part for this whole time, just like packed it in, you know, because they're not on the road working. And so it is like, look, there's a difference. I, I, I would pick up my instrument every day, no matter what and I am, you know, because it's just a part of who I am. And it is a part of my overall happiness level every day. Like I need these creative moments to happen. Or else I'm not an, as nice a person the rest of that day as I would be if unless I had that, you know. So, yeah, I mean, you, you're seeing that now during the pandemic. At least I am. I'm seeing it with friends who have not touched instruments. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are times in my life when I've when I kind of have to go for a couple of days without a guitar, and it's like, okay, well, if there's no guitar, then what else is there? You know, and then that's usually when people are like, man, you've been humming that song for a really long time. Like, sorry, I got to do something, you know. Yeah. yeah. So and it's it's weird that people would would say, you know, you're in this for adulation or, you know, whatever. It's like, no, I, I think people get that that twisted a little bit. Do we want to make a living? Absolutely. Do we want to be successful and get recognition? Yeah. But the, the real thing I want recognition of is not necessarily my greatness. It's the amount of time that I've actually put in and the amount of love and care that I've given to this thing. I don't mind if that gets recognized because yeah, I put all my life into it. So it's fine. If you, that's what I really want to be recognized. It's not, I just need your, you know, your praise. That's, that's not what it is. No, and if anything, uh, uh, that is that's a skill that you kind of have to, you know. I'm sure you you can identify with this, but like, um, uh, that's like the most awkward part of the job is when somebody's like, "That was a really great show." It's like, "Oh, thanks for saying so." In my mind, I've got this long list of all the things that I fucked up and would like to do differently and better yeah. tomorrow. But I can't go through that list with you right now because that would be inappropriate. And I have to say, thank you so much for your kind words. And it's not that I don't appreciate those kind words, but it's like. Um, at the end of the day, that's not why I do it, right? And that's that, like, and that's the proof for me is like, I know that I would do this with or without that because I have done it for a very long time without. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And the what first, else like, am I gonna do? Exactly. The first five years of my career, I spent having people come up after shows saying, you know, if you only played like this or you only played songs like this or you wrote more songs like this, you'd be more successful. I'm just like, well, here I am playing the same shit, and it's finally happening you know yeah, there I don't know. you go wow it's, right. you know yeah number 10 man do you have a five-year plan where do you see yourself in five years is there some like monumental goal that you feel like you're working towards or is it more go with the flow let's see what happens where do you want to be in five years uh I don't actively have a five-year plan. I think at w at one point in time I did, and um, my my career has far surpassed my wildest dreams. I mean, like, I, uh, as a as a, a you know a guitar player from Winnipeg, when I was growing up, there was no chance. There was n there was nothing in sight that led me to believe that I would um, have the success that I have now, because it just didn't really happen. There was Every now and then, somebody would break out of Winnipeg, and you know, uh, uh, there's like a famous famous WWE wrestler from here, and then there's a fame you know the Guess Who is a famous rock band from here. There are a handful of famous people from Winnipeg, but it was not common. And so in my mind, it was just like I'm just gonna be happy to if I can make a living playing, and I've far surpassed any of that. I mean, you know, I think half thanks to the internet and all that, but. Um, yeah, my, my five-year plan was about five years ago, 
and uh, everything everything past that point would be icing. I mean, I it would always be nice to play um, bigger shows, make a little bit more money. But honestly, if I never played a bigger show and I never made a dollar more than I make now, I I would be a very happy guy. I, I live a really uh, I'm, I feel very fortunate to live the life that I live and have friends all over the world, like you know, like yourself and. That's the. I think that's the coolest part. Anyway, I can ramble on about this forever. So, uh, short answer is I, I don't. <laughs> All right. Well, well, that's cool, man. I mean, you know, contentment is. I mean, and I don't mean it like you're resting on your laurels, but it, we sh- we should be trying to get to that place where we're happy with what's going on. You know, I mean, that's a it's just a good feeling. <laughs> it's a good feeling. I mean, I'm always I'm always working hard and pushing myself. So it's not you know it's certainly not. Uh, uh, it's certainly not to just sit and rest. Um, I think I will always try to push the creative envelope and learn more things and and play better and sing better and arrange better and record better. Um, but you know, if if those if those efforts were never rewarded more than right now, then I would be I would be totally all right. But uh, yeah. all that to say, I can make a couple extra bucks a year. That'd be all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. I'll sign up for that. <laughs> yeah. If All I right. figure it out. <laughs> well, dude, we made it to the end of the uh the 10 questions. So, thank you for doing this, man. And rulers, uh if you're not a ruler, you should be a ruler. Uh so please hit join and become a member or at least please subscribe to the channel because it's free. Like come on. But anyways, if you are a ruler, we're going to come back and do the turn two, and you'll be able to see that. But, dude, Joey, thank you for doing this, man. It's always a pleasure just getting to chat with you. And, uh, again, there will be links to all things Joey Landreth in the description of this video. So we will plug away. But, dude, thank you. Thank you for, for taking time out of your day. Likewise, my brother. Thanks for having me. Ruling.